0: Hey, we love we love to celebrate, don't we? We love to celebrate things, have parties. We're just a, a celebratory kind of people, whether it's a football game, a college football game, or maybe an NFL game, the World Series, whatever. We love To celebrate. And sometimes uh, the things we celebrate are just straight up silly, right? Uh, About a month or so ago, I don't know, it might have been six weeks ago, Elizabeth and I went out for a a date and one of our favorite spots is the Cheesecake Factory. And as we got to the Cheesecake Factory that night, it was just packed like we had never seen before. And it was this must have been a Thursday night, maybe it was a Friday night, I'm not sure. But it was like, what is going on here? And as we waited for 45 minutes or an hour and people came in through the takeout order, we found out it was National Cheesecake Day. <laughs> How silly am I to not have that in my phone and, and go to a different place because of the crowd, right? We, we celebrate a lot of silly things here's some silly things that I found out that we actually celebrate maybe you've forgotten to celebrate them but random acts of poetry day did you realize that that's on September 6th I want you to take out your phones and, and mark these okay, so you won't miss them next day uh, quiet day how about that one my, my uh, kids forgot to tell me about Quiet Day on September the 12th. Uh, White Chocolate Day, I like that one. And, and one that I can get passionate about, Punctuation Day. Did you know that there was, there was National Punctuation Day? I think we need to bring punctuation back. You know, text messaging and all this kind of, there's no excuses. You still need to use punctuation, okay? We, uh, punctuation Day every day. And Corn Hash Day. Anybody like some Corn Hash what is it? He says, well, ask somebody else, okay? Uh, my wife makes a hash with eggs and bacon and all this kind of, that's a great hash, but corn hash, I don't know. Some of the things that we celebrate uh, are just plain silly But a lot of times there are are things that we need to celebrate that are actually important, whether it's the uh, independence of our country or whether it's something that we've been celebrating this month along with millions of Christians around the world, and that is the Protestant Reformation. This Tuesday, contrary to popular belief, is not Halloween, it is Reformation Day. Did you know that? The 500th anniversary of when a guy, a Catholic monk named Martin Luther, nailed, or maybe he pinned or glued, you know, it's, it's up for grabs. Um, but he pinned, much like Pinterest today, okay? He pinned 95 theses to this door of this church in Wittenberg, okay? Or if you're really smart, you say Wittenberg. Um, but I'm not German. So uh, he pinned these 95 theses, which, which sparked... Uh, this thing that we call the Protestant Reformation. And believe it or not, that is a significant thing. For those of us that worship Jesus, for those of us that call ourselves Christian, what happened 500 years ago was huge for reclaiming the gospel and for us understanding what the Bible teaches about Jesus, what the Bible teaches about salvation. So we've been talking about that in this anniversary, and today we're kind of concluding that celebration. We're going to go back to a different place in the book of Romans that we've been studying for a while. And tonight, we actually have a seminar on Martin Luther. Bob Cox, one of our elders who was just up here, has has lived and ministered in in Germany, uh, speaks some German, and uh, has done a lot of study on the life and ministry of Martin Luther. So I want to invite you back tonight at 5. If you want to register for that, particularly if you have kids, go ahead and go online right now and register for that and join us back up here uh, tonight at 5 as we think about um, Luther's life. That happened, that nailing of the thesis on October the 31st, and it spread a reformation of Christian thinking that lasts to this day and is not insignificant, is not silly. Several of the things that Luther was uh, protesting, Protestant as protesters, several of the things that he was protesting, one of them was just the power that the, that the Catholic Church and that the Pope had at that time. There was a, there was a thing going around called the selling of indulgence indulgences where you could buy forgiveness by paying the church you could purchase forgiveness these things called indulgences by giving money to the church and the pope would use this money would use this income to, to build the cathedrals and to St Peter's basilica and these kind of St Peter's cathedral these things he would, that's the way he would fund some of these projects in the Roman empire and Luther protested the idea that you could ever pay for forgiveness. That forgiveness comes paid by the blood of Jesus and not by anything that we do. Martin Luther, though he was a, a, a Catholic monk and was zealous for God, he, he didn't understand the grace of God or the love of God. In fact, as he, as he was a practicing monk, One of the uh, bishops, one of the overseers of his monastery told him one time that he needed to love God, and Luther's reply was, love God, I hate God. And it's because he felt that his righteousness, all his what he called monkery, could never get him right before God. And it was as Martin Luther began to teach, he's a theology professor in Wittenberg, it was as he began to teach through the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome that we've been studying this year, it was as he read through Romans that his eyes were opened to the fact that the righteousness of God was not God's righteousness that we had to attain to, but it was the righteousness that God gives us as a gift. So let me read to you. This won't be on the screen, but here's, here's Luther's words. Uh, I had greatly longed to understand Paul's letter to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God, because I took it to mean the righteousness, the righteousness whereby God is righteous and acts righteously in, punning, in punishing the unrighteous. Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy He justifies us by faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole meaning of Scripture, or the whole of Scripture, took on new meaning. Whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it had become to me an expressibly sweet, greater than any other love. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven." That we could be righteous by grace through faith. And it transformed his world. And it was not something new that he discovered. It was something right here in the scriptures that he rediscovered. So some of the cries, some of the the refrains of the Protestant Reformation, we call them the five solas. We've been looking at them in our 9 o'clock class. Those five solas are sola scriptura, sola scriptura, sola gratia, grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, and solio deo gloria, the glory of God alone. Those are Latin phrases. And the way we say it often today is that we are saved. Okay, we are forgiven by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, all based upon Scripture alone. That Scripture is our ultimate and only final authority. Not the Pope, not the church, but we have to yield to what the scripture says. And this morning, as we gather at Centennial Church and many churches gather this morning, we are, we, we are legacies of the Protestant Reformation in large part because we hold up sola scriptura. We believe that the authority of any religious leader, of any Christian leader comes from the scriptures and the scriptures alone. So this morning, I want us to look into the scriptures to this fifth aspect, uh, this fifth sola the glory of God alone. And to do that, we're going to actually jump back. We're going to digress in our uh, study of Romans to uh, chapter 11. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to chapter 11, and we're going to read the passage aloud together, and then uh, I will ask uh, Janie Daly to pray for us. Um, So Romans chapter 11, we're going to look at uh, verses 33 through 36, we'll read those, and then I'll uh, tack on Romans chapter 12 as we get to the end of the message here, okay? So what I'd like you to do is just go ahead and stand uh, with me. This uh, will be on the screen as well, and what I'd like us to do this morning is to read this out loud in unison, okay? We'll read it out loud in unison, and then Janie will uh, pray for our time in God's Word, okay? So read along with me. Amen. Janie? Father, we just ask this morning that you help us to center our hearts on you and you alone. That it is throughout scripture that you tell us to know it, study it, and hide it in our hearts. And that today, as we concentrate on this passage and on your glory, that we be ready to do that who hide it in our hearts and walk in your ways. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Janie. So as we rush uh, through this passage this morning, we're going to see three points. Okay, the context, the point, and then the response. Okay, the context, the point, and the response. And as you read these brief verses as we just looked at them, you can see that the point is pretty clear. The point is pretty clear that it is all about God. From him, through him, and to him are all things. That he is the one who should get the glory, and all the glory belongs to God alone. To illustrate, let me read uh, to you, not from a biblical author, or not from a theologian, or not from anyone even ancient, but actually someone modern. Let me read to you uh, Kanye West. Okay? Kanye says this in an interview. I am the number one being in music. That means that any person living or breathing is number 2. I am going down as a legend whether you like me or not. Don't you think that I would be one of the main characters of today's modern bible? My greatest pain is life. My greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. And you laugh. And why does that just get all over us? Why does that just disgust us when we, he, when we hear Kanye say something like that in an interview? It's, man, you think you are all it. You think you are the center. You think that life resolves around you. And the teaching of this passage this morning, the teaching of the reformers, the teaching of the Bible this morning, is that it is not about us. That it is all about God. And while Kanye's words may disgust you like they disgust me, there's a part of us, there is something inside of us that has Kanye-isms to it, right? That we want to be noticed. We want to be the center of existence. We want things to go our way. We want to be the person in the spotlight, the person that the story is all about. It disgusts us, but if we look deep enough, we see that, man, I've got this tendency towards pride and wanting the glory for myself also. First of all, as we look here, let's look, um, as as Paul gets to this wonderful doxology, this wonderful uh, praise about God, I want us to consider this morning the context And what's interesting about uh, chapter 11 here, as Paul gets to this wonderful just, it's like he's falling on his knees and just worshiping. He's taking this time out, and I want you to see the the importance of the context of it. For the first 11 chapters, Paul has been delineating this wonderful, heavy truth about God and His grace and how we were dead in our sin, uh, chapters 1 through 3, and how by His grace, He has saved us, chapters 4 Five, and then how we're to live that out, uh, chapters 6 through 8. And then in chapter 9, it got to this really difficult uh, part where Paul is explaining how God is the, the first mover, the architect of our salvation, the one who before time chose us to follow him. And then in chapter 10, we have this wonderful call to go and share the gospel. And then in chapter 11, he gets this difficult passage too about, well, if God chose the people Israel, in the Old Testament times, why aren't more of them believing? What's he going to do with Israel? Are, are they just lost? And so after all of this heavy theology, particularly chapters 9 and 11, he comes to this place where he's just overcome with the inscrutable ways, the incomprehensibility, excuse me, of God. And so it's like his pen is just taking this uh, break from explanation, and he is moving to adoration he's worshiping God in light of the truth and he's worshiping God in light of even the fact that he can't even understand it all and here's the point of this from the context the point of this is that theology always leads to doxology what we believe the truth okay The the context here is truth and theology. What theology gives us is not just knowledge, but it gives us something to worship. It gives us someone to worship. You don't get worship without knowledge, but your knowledge and the truth that you get leads to worship. We can't just know it, but we have to fall, metaphorically even, like the Apostle Paul, fall on our knees and cry out, God, I don't understand you completely. But I worship you, and to you alone be the glory. The praise of God, the glory of God comes in the context of truth, of theology, but that theology is not just meant to to scratch our intellectual minds, but to get at our heart and make us fall on our knees, and as we'll see in a few moments, offer our lives in response to that incredible God of glory. Okay? The second thing we see here is the point, and the point uh, is As I said earlier, pretty clear. He starts out in verse 33, and he's just just exclaiming, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Now, think about this. He's known something about God. He's not just saying God is inscrutable, he's totally incomprehensible, and I can't know him. No, he's spent 11 chapters telling us about God, telling us about truth. But even though you know truth, you don't know all of truth. Even though you know God, you don't know all of God. And so he's saying the vastness of chapter 11, the, the, the depth of Romans chapter 9, I can't figure it all out. But God, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of you, I can't figure you out. Unsearchable, inscrutable, inscrutable are his judgments, are his ways. The point is it's all about God. And God is the counselor. God is the giver. Look at verses 34 and 35. He's quoting the Old Testament here again, places of truth. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? He's quoting Isaiah chapter 40 there. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? There he's, he's quoting Job. And what is his point? His point is, you don't counsel me. We don't get God uh, on our therapy couch and say tell me your problems or let me let me help you fix this problem god we're not his counselor he is our counselor we, we may think we give him gifts, but he's the giver of it all, right? Verse 35, how could we ever repay him? I think here about, you know, a child, and maybe they give you, you know, a young child gives you something for your birthday, and they're so proud that they've uh, uh, given you that gift, and they're like, Dad, I, I spent my money on that. And yeah, it's sweet, the gesture is sweet, but in the back of your head, you're thinking, yeah, you spent the money that I gave you on that gift, right? <laughs> I mean, everything that you have, I've given you. And God is saying here, all the gifts that you have, even the, 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 the money that you give back to the kingdom is the things that I have given to you first. You're not my counselor. You don't tell me how life should look. You don't tell me uh, how to run my train on your tracks. You take from me. You don't give to me. I'm the giver. I'm the counselor. It's all about him. From him and through him and to him are all things. What is he saying there? He's he's answering the question, where does everything come from? It comes from God. How did it come? It came through him. Amanda read earlier Colossians chapter 1. This is the very same thing. From him and through him. He created all things. All things were created by him and all things are created for him. We belong to him. There's nothing in our life that we can, that we can should kind of pull over here and say, all is yours, God, except this. It's all his and it's all for his glory, right? He is the point. I'm not the point. Well, we would never say like Kanye, hey, I'm the greatest human being. I'm the greatest music entertainer that ever would. But, but, but how do we do this? How do we try to steal glory or get glory? Because we're, we're glory takers, aren't we? We want it to be about us. Even, even as we're driving down the highway and we're frustrated by the others, we think these people don't have nearly the important things to do that I do, right? So get out of my way. And, and that's it. It's about me. It's about me getting what I want. It's about me getting my way. And that's a silly illustration, but... Uh, how, do you, how, how do you react when someone else gets the credit at work instead of you? Well, it's because I want the glory. How do you react when God doesn't give you what you pray for? What do you pray for? Sometimes if we just ask ourselves, what are our prayers about? We can see what it is that we really are, what, what really we're seeking glory for. Is it for him or for ourselves? If we just examine our prayer life, sometimes we can really see where our glory is, whether it's in him or whether it's in ourselves, right? We may not make the claim of Kanye, but often we are asking our kids, we're asking our spouse, we're asking the people that we work with, uh, hey, put the spotlight on me. Serve me. It's all about me. Tuesday, uh, you know, we'll celebrate Reformation Day. We'll also uh, celebrate Halloween, probably many of you, and I encourage you, go get the good candy, okay? Not the bad candy, pass out the good candy. Um, you know, I love it. I'm, I'm usually the one that stays home in the driveway or on the front porch and hands out the candy while the kids and mom go around the rest of the neighborhood and uh, sit there in the lawn chair and pass out the candy. And, you know, without fail, we've got a lot of kids in our neighborhood. They'll, they'll be there. And without fail, they'll also be, the, the kids will be dressed up. And a lot of them, uh, because superheroes are such a huge thing, there'll be a lot of superheroes Uh, come to my door on Tuesday night. You know that? And it's cute. It's fun. But you know what's not as cute to me? Is when a 40-year-old parent shows up on my doorstep in a Superman costume. I mean, you're just silly, right? You look silly as Superman. Well, it's Halloween, so that's an excuse. But think about this. How silly would you think someone was if on Monday morning they came to work wearing a cape? Man, you, you look like an idiot. Who do you think you are? A superhero, you know what? Sometimes we think we're the superhero. Sometimes we think that that we deserve a cape, that it's about us, that we've got the power, that we've got the, the smarts, that we've got the ability. And what it really amounts to is we just think that we have a cape on. But how silly is it for us to put a cape on and pretend that we're something that we're not, that in no way do we have the power to oftentimes accomplish what we think we can? Put away the capes. It's all about him. It's all about worshiping him. And that's what Luther and that's what these reformers were saying, even our salvation is not because we are so smart or we have such great faith, but our salvation, even that, is is due to the glory of God and the grace of God. He starts it and he finishes it. I've showed this slide a few times before, but uh, the overview of salvation here, if if you look into Romans, you'll see that the source of our salvation is God himself, that the basis of Of our salvation is grace the agent of our salvation is Jesus Christ so God again the instrument of its accomplishment is the blood and the cross of Christ the means of its reception is faith the seal is baptism the fruit is good works and the end is God's glory and look at that from beginning to end it begins with God and it ends with God. And right in the middle, the accomplishment of it is God, Jesus, who died on the cross. It's not caused by our faith. It's caused by God and his grace. In fact, sometimes people will say we're saved by faith. Technically, the way the reformers and the, Paul would teach it, I think, is, is, is not that we're saved by faith, but we're saved by grace through faith. Faith is not the cause Faith is the instrument of receiving it, but the cause is God himself and his grace. Life and salvation all reflects back to God. We are not the sun, we are the moon, reflecting the light back from its origin, right? But no power, no goodness within ourselves. You can summarize the, the Christian life uh, Three words, I've used this before, but guilt, grace, and gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. But you're going to have a fourth word to that this morning, glory. Because we start out guilty, God gives us grace, and the rest of our lives are living in gratitude, living in worship, because of God's grace and what he's done. And that gratitude brings glory to God by giving him the thanks for it. All glory belongs to him. Jeremiah, and I don't have these on slides, but listen along with me here. Jeremiah says it like this in the Old Testament Let the wise man boast in his wisdom, let the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's what our boast is, that's our brag that's our resume, that God has revealed himself to us and that we know him. The heavens declare the glory of God. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians uh, about the glory of God's might. In Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about his glorious grace. Isaiah says, I created my people for my glory. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2 says, we are saved not by our works so that no man can boast, so that God himself can get all the boasting. First Peter says that we, we all have spiritual gifts, and some of us have given, been given gifts to, to speak. Some of us have been given gifts to serve. Some of, of us have been given other gifts. But he says that God, we're all given these gifts that in everything, God may be glorified. To him belong glory and dominion forever. And I love First Corinthians 10, 31. Paul says this, for whether you, whether you eat or drink, do all things to the glory of God. Yeah. Even something as simple as eating or drinking, what, what, what does that mean? I think it just means saying, God, I didn't get this. You provided this for me. Giving glory to God doesn't doesn't just mean you score a touchdown and you point up in the in the sky. You can give glory to God just by being thankful, just by walking in uh, to the office on Monday morning, saying, "God, I didn't get this job on my own merits. God, you placed me here. Right. Glory to you. Thank you for this job. Thank you for this food. All glory to God." That's what the scriptures teach: that life is not about you or me that life is to be centered on Jesus Christ, Him and Him alone. Scott shared this verse uh, in relation to Dan earlier. I think it's worth repeating. Acts chapter 20, verse 24 says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Of God it's all about him so what do we do in light of that that he's the only one worthy of glory well Romans 12 1 and 2 tells us we've seen the adoration and now we see the response and the response is praise or excuse me the response is surrender and transformation surrender and transformation Romans 12:1, he says after he's praised God, after he's given God glory, to him be glory forever, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What do you do in light of a God that deserves all glory? You surrender and submit. You say, God, my life is yours. You made me, you saved me. Everything is from you, through you, and for you. Here's my life. Here's my life. The translation there, uh, spiritual worship, this is your spiritual worship. The, The Greek word there is logikos, logikos. This is your logikos worship, from which we get the word logic or rational. And what he's saying there is the only logical thing to do, the only rational thing to do, if God is who he says he is, is to give your life to him, to serve him, to take your hands off your life and say, God, use me for whatever you want. And so my challenge this morning is, where in your life, where in your life this morning are you attempting to be the author, to be the director, to be the main character in a story that's all about you? It may not be as blatant as Kanye West, but what's going on in life right now where you're tempted to say, I want to author this thing, I want to direct this thing, and I want to be the main character in it. And take take your hands off your life and say, God, it's not my story. It's your story. Use me as you will. Would you bow your heads with me? And maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time you've heard that life's not about you. And this is the first time you've heard that because of that rebellion and because of that selfishness, Jesus loved you so much that he took the punishment for our selfishness on the cross and he gives us grace. And since he gives us grace, he gets the glory. But maybe you've never given your life To God in response to his grace and I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now you can just pray silently right where you are as I pray out loud just just say Lord Jesus thank you for dying on the cross for me sinner that I am save me give me Holy Spirit to help me walk this life help me take my hands off my life and give you control Thank you, Jesus. And for all of us here this morning, there's there's things in our lives that we want to be the center of, that we want to control, that we think we ought to get our way and why are we being overlooked and why are we not getting what we want? And the comfort we have this morning is that even when life feels out of control, God is in control, and the story is not about us. It's about Him. So I want to give you just a moment as you sit here to just do business with God and say, God, I'm yours, and I'll pray for us. Father God, the son does not revolve around us and you do not revolve around us. We revolve around you. God, I pray that you would be centered. Help us to take our hands off of our life and offer them totally, completely to you. That even when the bumps in the road come, we would be rest secure. That you're writing the story. You're the author. You're the director. And we're not the spotlight, but just small supporting actors in your story. God, thanks for being good. Thank you that through seeking your glory, you ultimately seek our good. Help us to cling to that. Help us to believe that it's in the name of our savior we pray amen